Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. So today we're going to discuss um, the opus, <laughs> the magnificent opus that is Fleabag. Um, and I, I mean, I feel like I watched it so long ago, but what is time in times of COVID? I have no idea anymore. But I do know once it came out, I, I was on top of it. And I really enjoyed season one. I thought this is fantastic. And then when season two came out, it was six episodes of the best TV I've ever seen. Um, I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I know that you, uh, just like the title of the show, just watched it. So you were one of the last ones to this party because it, I mean, as far as I know, everyone I know had watched the show. Um so I guess my first thing is before you even watch, like why, why hesitant? Why, why so late to the flea bag party? That's a good question. I mean, it was highly regarded and everybody that we knew who watched it, loved it. Um, I don't remember when it first came out. I think the first season was pre COVID. And so maybe I just was too preoccupied with other things. I don't know. Uh, so it didn't feel like a priority, you know, it, I don't know. I kind of hesitate to to speak my real potential truth. Um, Which is what? That because it was a female driven thing, I was um, sort of less inclined. Listen, brave. I'm glad you said it. It came out in 2016, the yeah. first season. And I say this because I'm a guy who kind of like semi hate watched, semi grudge watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the very, very end. I could have been spending that time watching Fleabag. Yeah. So with the quarantine, you know, I I binged Justified, West Wing, um, and then finally got around. I was like, oh, I haven't watched Fleabag. Let me put that on. And I really got drawn into it. I mean, there's a lot of things about that show that there's things that they do that still catch me by surprise. And I feel like. Margaret Dumont in an old Barks Brothers movie, you know, oh my word, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what that says about, you know, my upbringing, my disposition, whatever it is. Um, but there's a lot of things where I just am like, oh my God, is that real? Is that a thing? I bet uh, she's so casual about this. Do you mean like sexually? Yeah, yeah. Mostly the sexual oh. stuff. Oh, yeah. That's just the old man you... I mean, let's be honest, because I feel like everything you've named, you've watched is like, oh, male gaze, male view. I mean, just show after show of white men talking about being white men. Uh, snooze. Fleabag season two came out 2019. And at that point, I was lucky enough to be in a writer's room. And that's all everyone would talk about and how in love everyone was, male and female, with uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who, like Michaela Cole, is the everything to the show, the you know, wrote everything, star and everything, which is mind blowing. Well, now I'm I'm kind of doubly glad that I didn't get on board when it came out because th waiting three years for season two seems like a lot. But you know, it it does, but it doesn't because I feel like I'm so used to that now. Like that's what happens with like Amazon and Netflix and Hulu with their original content, right? Like, I don't know. I'm so used to it just taking forever that. I mean, I, I I haven't given up on these shows. Yeah, I'm just glad that I got to roll straight in from one right into two because it was 
satisfying to be able to get through those and then to have to wait three years and then to have it be six episodes which i think were the right ep- amount oh yeah perfect but you know if you're waiting three years and then it's like six episodes it'd be like, oh that's kind of you know a long wait for half a season no i don't i don't think so i don't think so because that i really don't think so and i'm gonna say this because i think every episode in season two is so good that it's better than watching a 20 20- you know, in the old days, 20 episode uh, or 22 episode season or nowadays like a 13. It's better than Joe. So those six episodes are so good that it's just like, it's it's like having, you know, I mean, yawn where everything else is just like ground beef. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With a, with a hint of stuff, you know. So I think you would be satisfied with it. What I'm trying to say is I think you just walk away being like, oh my gosh, like that's it. We've We've hit the pinnacle. So. They definitely benefit with the BBC model of we're, we don't need to bash this thing into the ground. Yeah. Let's get the best episodes that we have and do those. So that was definitely, definitely worthwhile. I was going to say, I just enjoyed all of the different relationships. You're now binging Shit's Creek, which maybe we'll do in the future. And this has a similar dynamic in the love-hate relationships with all of the family members. There seems to be a little bit more, a little less tolerance and patience amongst the family members, but you you have these scenes where you see their their true loyalty come forward. Yes. Which is nice. You see those moments between the two sisters. You see those moments between mm-hmm. her and her dad. And so those are nice moments so that it's not just, you know, I'm smarmy and snarky and I'm smarter than everybody else and I'm going to make fun of everybody. There's layers to oh yeah agreed and i mean i feel like i get what you're saying they have the similarities those two shows but i mean i think this one obviously starts with such trauma that Shit's creek doesn't right like there's trauma of someone taking their own life there's trauma of uh, a parent dying um so there's a lot of sadness and how do people deal with grief and bad marriages i mean it just has a lot of heavy things in it that that she finds light in and that she finds humor in, in such a British way that I yes. love. Yeah. But I would say, like, I don't know. Like, I, we could talk about season one or season two. I was going to go, like, I love season one, but I honestly could go episode for episode of season two. <laughs> I'm just going to jump into season two. Um, well, season two is the one I remember the most, partly because yeah. it's only six episodes and partly because it was the last, last six episodes watched. that I watched. Yeah. But I will say I do enjoy throughout how she is upsetting the apple cart at almost every turn and sometimes it's because of her own righteous indignation or frustration with people and sometimes it's something beyond her control and it's interesting when her sister starts to call her out on it very explicitly and even more so in season two but season two for me i really perked up when the priest is breaking the fourth wall without knowing that he's breaking the fourth wall by responding to her breaking the fourth wall. That I found very charming and very clever as a way of depicting, uh, as a way of put, re-establishing a fourth wall, sort of. Yes, I agree. I also, I think for me, it was like when he discovers that 
because I think it is what you're saying, clever, and I think it's a way that takes, like you were saying, catches you off guard, um, right? Yeah, it's a surprise to have a character. So I feel like we're now very familiar with the device or trope of the lead character who looks knowingly at the camera. I mean, in a way, it kind of goes back to Alfie with Michael Caine speaking directly in the camera, if not probably something even before that. So it's refreshing that they put another spin on it, that it's not just simply having someone else speak to the audience from their isolated, siloed point of view. And we've got multiple people speaking to camera um, the way you would in the office and other mockumentary things. This is someone who sees that she's doing something outside the bounds and he's he's the only one who sees it. So in a way, he's he's breaking the fifth wall, kind of. It's when they're hanging out outside the church um, and they're talking. It's when the fox comes to, like, <laughs> you know, he says, I'm always followed by these foxes, which I, I also love. And also, I mean, I don't know what we're giving shout outs, but a shout out to Andrew Scott, who plays the priest. He is magnificent. And they are so great together. They have such great electricity and just energy and chemistry. I mean, you can't buy that stuff. Like, it's just, it's there, right? They just. Yeah. He has he has charisma. Yeah, and but they have yes he does, and they have charisma together because that doesn't always happen. I mean, let's cite uh, the great movie um, Magic Mike, with I would say arguably one of the most charismatic people on the planet, Channing Tatum playing the lead, and yet with that woman that played his love interest, it was like he was acting with a piece of wood. I mean, there was no chemistry, and if you cannot have chemistry with Channing Tatum, I mean. So I'm just saying, it's not a given. You can be so charismatic and the person you're with, it can still just be dead in the water. And in this case, it is so alive. It's like an electric wire. It's it's amazing. I love watching them together. And um, yes, yeah, so the fox goes by. And then I like that whole thing about like, I think she says like, or he says the fox could have got me. And she goes, oh, but God got you instead. Which, you know, is nice because that keeps kind of coming back. But I also, like you said, I love that it's like there's an actual fox. Like they they go all the way with that, right? I love that. They go all in on that being a real thing. And- That's at the end. That's at the end. I'm sorry. There's not a real fox in that scene. I'm thinking of, but they talk about the fox then, but a real fox shows up at the, I'm, I'm skipping very my ahead, the yeah. very end, which we'll get to because that is, that whole episode, episode six is perfection. From beginning to end, that whole episode is just it's like scene after scene of just, yeah. I heard the whole time, I'm like, yes, 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 it's so good. But that's the first time where she kind of looks off and does one of her asides. And he says, what, where'd you go? Yeah. Where'd you yeah. go? And to me, I took it as she's finally being seen and being known. That idea of like, he is that connected to her that he's like, I see you. Like no one else has been that connected to her, right? Or really, or really present with her. So when she does that, no one's really, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no intimacy. And this is the first time she's actually getting this intimacy from another person. And I love that it's illustrated through him seeing that side of her. I I loved it. I'm with you. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It demonstrates definitely that he gets her more than anybody else gets her. And it's, it's it's the overarching tragedy of those six episodes because they belong together. but because he's not only committed to his calling, yeah, I get the sense that there is something about him that is wounded or damaged mm. that would that would negatively affect them being in a relationship, even if he were to leave the calling. 
Right. But but yet they're still perfect for each other. Right. Yeah, they kind of he's written like as this wonderful person but like yeah, there 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 are signs of like ooh, he seems a little, right? He drinks too much. Yeah, he talked about drinking too much. He might have been, you know, I wonder is the yeah. idea that maybe his character was an alcoholic. Yeah. Prior and I don't know. This was his salvation or right. you know something but something like that is also lurking under the surface. Yeah. And so when you get to, you know, to skip ahead to the last episode when they have to leave each other. Yeah. She's now faced with the task of finding someone like that who is not him, which is going to be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's faced with the task basically of having to forget about her because he's devoted to this other thing. So yeah. he can't he can't go off and try to find somebody. He's he doesn't have the challenge of trying to find somebody else to fill that void, but he has to the challenge of trying to put her in his rearview mirror. Yes, yes, yes. But before we get to episode six, because I I would wanna spend some time on that. I love that episode. Um I feel like I have to say it. I know you probably didn't pay attention to this, but the jumpsuit she wears in episode one, which that whole episode almost takes place the whole, almost the whole episode is at the restaurant, which is a celebratory dinner for her father and the godmother that's soon to become her stepmother. And that's when we meet the priest and then we, the sister and her very problematic husband. Oh, episode one of the second season. Yeah. Um, who is played by someone that we both know, Brett Gelman. Yeah. Um, who is fantastic. So good. So good. He, it's, um, he plays the perfect American. I feel like they cast him perfectly because I think they give him these big speeches and he's, you know, he's, he's a douche. Not that all Americans are a douche, but he's, his characters are douche, but he's much louder than them all. He screams. Like, he, it's a hard job of he's set up to play all these kind of tropes that people think of Americans. And he does them all, but they're all grounded and totally realized and you hate him and then at the same time you really are like oh i feel horrible for him this person i don't want the sister to be with him but like he's able to hit so many notes within his performance it's really breathtaking yeah especially towards the end yes in episode six he has a beautiful scene i mean i guess we'll just talk about episode six he has a beautiful scene with the um his wife the sister that last episode it just Gets to the finish line of yes. so many things in just the best way. Yes, truly. But I think you're right. I feel like it's, uh, it, it is so satisfying in every way, like in the in the writing and the performances, in the relationships, in their growth. And I feel like that's so rare that that's why you want to get to that 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 finale. It is worth it. Um, it is worth the jury to get there. Like, definitely watch both seasons. You will, you will thank us later. Even though I'm sure everyone listening to this has already watched them, um, watch them again. Um, but like, if you and if you only have a half hour, watch the last episode of season two, a bunch, because um, it is a masterclass. I think also in storytelling and writing, um, every all of, all of the characters are treated with respect and are fully developed. Which is, again, like I think you don't see that much. Yeah, the characters are treated with respect in regards to their, they are consistent. Even, and their growth comes about in a way that is believable. 
Yes. It's not one of those, you know, the, the, you're right. It is six and six. That 12th episode, that final episode is not a complete 180 of, and everybody turns, everybody that we're rooting for turns out and gets what they want. Everybody that we don't like gets screwed. Yeah. You know, and even when somebody does get screwed, like, you know, to, to reveal plot points, Brett's character as the boorish American husband, he gets left. Yeah. He finally gets left by his, his wife finally leaves him, which there is a funny scene in one of the early episodes of season two where his son, who's a little off, yes. <laughs> sidles up to his wife and says, leave him. But no, you have to, to leave him. Yes, and then goes up to Fleabag after he plays like at the like the church, whatever, that gathering, yeah. and says, she must leave him, which I think is hilarious. Um, and so she finally leaves, and it's it's agonizing her to to make that choice and the guy that you know you're kind of rooting against throughout these 12 episodes yeah he he gets kind of what he should have gotten a while ago but it comes about in a way that doesn't feel just capricious yeah and I mean, actually I, yeah Rebag doesn't get what she wants at the end so she doesn't yeah. have a happy thing and the dad kind of settles compromises but gets what he wants and so it's it's a really nuanced ending i think fleabag does get a happy ending See, i disagree with that i think she doesn't get what she thinks she wants but to me at, at the very end when the whatever all spoilers turn it off if you have not watched the end of it stop listening now when she's at the bus station just that last the whole episode is magnificent and I mean, I'm going to start at the top of it just for a second. Just, I mean, right? Because that's, that's what we're talking about. It starts off with them in bed. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, they sleep together, the priest and Fleabag. And, you know, and then it's the day of the wedding of her father's wedding to her soon-to-be stepmom. That was her godmother when her mother was alive. Um, played magnificently, I keep using the word, but it's true, by Olivia Coleman, um, Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman, who is just strikes that perfect balance of she. she's just a great actress, like, you hate her, but then you kind of like her and she's just evil, but she's also really smart and she's sometimes she's right. Like, I mean, a lot of that's in the writing, but Olivia Coleman just really plays her, I think, spectacularly because you could just hate her and you don't. And she's brilliant. I mean, listen, everyone on the show is cast also cast beautifully and that doesn't always happen either. <laughs> so again and again, it's just like check, 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 like everything, all the stars are aligned for the show. So they're the wedding and um, she shows up and it's, it, it's a nice, um, it's the sister and she are like greeting everybody as they're coming into the, into the wedding, which is a nice sort of um, mirror to an earlier episode where they do a flashback of when Fleabag's mom has passed and they're at the mom's funeral and the sister and she are greeting everyone at the funeral. And they have a funny bit at the funeral where Fleabag's never looked better and everyone her hair keeps looks telling so her good. how beautiful she looks and how gorgeous she looks. This is really, I mean, there's a lot of really funny runners in, in the show too, right? I mean, it's not because it has heavy things, but it has really funny, hard-hitting jokes. And that's one of them, which I thought was really funny. But they're they're like right, they're welcoming everyone to the wedding, and and then, you know, uh it, all these things happen throughout the thing. But at one point, um, you know, the the priest is out practicing his homily or whatever they, I don't know if it's called the homily. He's might be cause he's Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Anyway. So she finds him and they, you know, make out and then they have this great electric thing. And then he goes away and she's thinking and then, you know, and then 
the what happens i think that's when she's like i'm gonna leave my husband the sister then they have that great scene with the husband the brother-in-law and her sister and her and they have that great moment where he says right uh the character the brother-in-law says i'm a horrible person which i love that she wrote that for him like i know i'm horrible but you love that i'm horrible and and doesn't he also say something about what he does to to make sure she won't leave him the things that he does to try yes to... all the little things he does and that you know i make you laugh you know i make you laugh and then i love when he's like you'll have to kneel and beg me to leave and there's that moment and then she kneels and it's just it's like takes the wind out of you and kind of like you said like you actually feel bad for him for a second but then you're also so proud of her for finally getting rid of him right it's it's so layered like life yeah, she's otherwise going to be living uh you know the the life of quiet desperation if yeah. she stays she'll never be happy if she stays yeah. and now she's going to go off and go to yeah. holland or whatever it is and Finn, be finland and find the other finland, claire yeah. that she likes yes. yeah <laughs> there's so many there's there's a couple of funny you know they don't it's you know in comparing it to schitt's creek schitt's creek is more overtly a comedy yes, yes. but this one has some very funny jokes sort of in it where her, the guy that she's so madly in love with has the yes. same name as her sister and in an earlier episode, you love that she gets a very bad haircut, but she calls. You don't know that's happened. She's crying. You have to come help me right now. Fleabag runs to her sister. You think it's something to do with the brother-in-law, right? You're so worried or about her. Or you think she's it, somehow been yeah. injured. I mean, the, the tone yes. that she has on the phone call is that this is cataclysmic. Yes. And yes. then you, she gets to her, and it's a really <laughs> drastic haircut, a really very specific haircut. And then they do the great, you know, I love it when somebody flips it around and then they yes. do the great thing of we're going to confront this hairdresser yes. that she's been going through for years. And as soon as they walk in and Fleabag makes her speech about, you know, you can't do this to people or whatever it is. And he pulls the photo that she brought in and it is exactly the haircut that she got. And yeah. they both <laughs> are immediately chastised and humbled. And yes. they say, sorry, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. <laughs> See you in six weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just link on out of there she and i feel like again with the writing what i also love about it is that she does which is like because my husband and i both met doing improv like when you improvise people always say like the minute you say something in a scene do it like don't write hedge don't what's the word like don't make us wait in you know yeah uh, don't stall don't build up because you can't it doesn't work that way right you can do that in a script but not in real life i mean, I mean not in improv and so I love in the scene in sorry in the episode I think it's episode three where we meet the other Claire that the, the guy that works with the sister Claire, um, the sister's throwing this big party, uh, not a party but like an event at her work, and Fleabag has to go help her, and the sister's like, "Don't touch the award, check the award, don't touch anything," and the sister leaves the office, and immediately, of course, Fleabag opens the award, picks it up, and immediately drops it. And this is like the top of the episode. So what I love is that you know we don't build into her ruining it. Like she right, the minute she touches it, she ruins. And it. And also, the episode is not about her replacing it. No, which is awesome. She replaces it very quickly, and there's a look yeah. on her yeah. sister's face. And Fleabag's name is Claire in this because that's what her boyfriend's, her sister's boyfriend's name is. Yes. Um, so there's a look of that's not the award, but nobody really cares. Yeah. And even when they give it to the award winner, she's not aware that it's no. not the award. Yes. And so it's not an issue, but it is a point of stress and tension and yes. comedic stress and tension. But it's not the entire episode, which you no. 
likely would have been if it were an American sitcom. Agreed. And I, I agree with you back to what you were saying before, right? Like everything happens to Fleabag, right? Yeah. Right? Like like even things like she shouldn't have touched it, but like the, the odds of it breaking the minute you touch it, right? It's like, oh, no, but she, she wasn't touching it to be no. appropriate. She yeah. was moving it to where it needed to be or she needed to take no, it out of the cave. she up to look at it. <laughs> yeah, she's going to take it out. It just literally dropped out of her hands. Yeah. But then that leads to that episode has that terrific scene oh, with her yes. and um, Kristen Scott Thomas. Yes, brilliant. Yeah. Love it. I love this scene so much. Um, yeah, at the bar, she gives Kristen Scott Thomas such a beautiful monologue. Which again, I'm just going to point out again. You know, not to, I don't know, uh, labor the point, but like Phoebe Waller Bridge not only is Fleabag, she wrote all of these scripts. So, like, it's, you know, this, this amazing monologue about being a woman of a certain age. I think she's 58. Um, and she talks about, she's this great monologue about um, how women are born with pain. And, and it's through their periods and through childbirth. And we carry the pain in ourselves. And men seek out pain through creating gods and demons and wars and playing rugby, right? Yeah. And then we have it all going on inside. And then she talks about the pain of the cycle. You're so you're kind of used to it. You're at peace. And then menopause comes and it's wonderful. And then Phoebe Waller-Bridge's writing is so great because it never gets to like, it's wonderful. And it's just like, and immediately, you know, Fleabag is like, I heard it was awful. And Chris Thomas's character is like, oh, it is awful. And then goes right back to how it's great. Like, right, it has, it keeps, it, it, it's just, Beautiful. And then she says, and then I like this line I wrote down. She goes, you're no longer a machine with parts. You're just a person. I love that. And then I love that. And then she talks about, you know, not being 33 anymore and that Fleabag should flirt. And that now that she's this older woman, there's no danger in her flirting. I love all that. Um, I feel like Pamela Adlon tackles a lot of that yes. and better things which yeah. i also love because she turns 50 in that show and she's like i'm suddenly in when you're a woman in your 50s you're invisible because nobody wants to sleep with you anymore and suddenly it's like who cares about you and it's like but i'm now in i'm fully me and like now i'm my most sexual and now i'm my most great and anyways it's just show, it was such a universal thought as a woman um anyways i loved it and then yeah, i think sorry. we were we were also watching a show and maybe maybe I'm misremembering it. It's from that show where they made the point that women know how to be physically affectionate, but men don't. And so they have to invent these sports and these events where they have to beat each other up in order to have physical closeness. Hmm. I don't remember what show that's from, but. Maybe it's one I'm writing in my head right now. Oh, wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I love that whole thing. And I love that she turns to Fleabag and she's like, don't take for granted what it feels like to be wanted like that. And then she goes, there's nothing more exciting than a room full of people. And Fleabag goes, but people are shit. And she says, and I wrote this down because I loved it. She, her line is, quote, look at me. Listen, people are all we've got. I could cry now. It's so true. And that to me is what sells. This is why the show is magnificent. It's just the writing is oof, who doesn't want to say those lines. It's like when I, you know, it's just, I don't know. You know, those are moments that click. Those are moments that open your eyes to the human experience. Yes. And reveal truths about women who are half this planet yes 
And so it's it's interesting to find out these things. It's another reason why I like the Pamela Athlon show too, because better they things. talk about uh, better things because they talk about that kind of thing as well. And they cross they cross three generations in talking about that because they have her mom, her, and her kids. Yes, all, all women. These conversations. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that show. Oh my gosh, I love that show. Um, for all those reasons, and I would I almost explore more. I mean. The show is awesome, but I think, I don't know for any men listening, I feel like it's, as women, we have watched so, I mean, right, so many movies, TV shows, where it's all about men's journeys. And I mean, I like a lot of them. I like a lot. I liked Mad Men. I love Mad Men. I mean, Mad Men couldn't be more about a male journey. I mean, they have great female characters in it, and we get to get their journeys as the show progresses. But ultimately, it's about Don Draper. I love Breaking Bad. It's about the husband. The wife's character is so underwritten until maybe the end of the final season. They finally give her something to do. Um, and I, I mean, I, lo- I loved all these shows for a multitude of reasons. So I think it's interesting. And I know you're not alone. As a man to be like, oh, I'm going to watch these other male, really heavy, male heavy shows. The West Wing is a very male heavy show. So is Justified. And then wait on this one. So I'm like, I guess I'm saying is I'm, I'm so happy you're finally here. And I would think, how do you feel now? Will that, will this like make you not as hesitant moving forward? Like, what do you? Yeah, I think I'm, you know, I like to think that I'm not terribly hesitant anyway, but for some reason there was something about this show that made me a little, maybe hit the brakes every time I was about to do it. And so you know, I've had that happen with other shows that are maybe more male oriented. I can't think of any right now, but I'm sure it's happened. But yeah, I think I will be less Cobra Kai, less skeptical, cynical. Yeah, I took a while to get on board Cobra Kai. That's been out for a while. There's two yeah. seasons of that. So um, yeah, so I think I will be a little less reticent. And I don't know. I'm sure that there are men out there who would see a show like this and be like, oh, too many women on board. But I mean, if you're not that, <laughs> if you're pretty sure you're not that guy, then like dive in, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's many men like that. I mean, this show is just good. It happens to be written by a woman about a woman. It's great. Yeah. It's still addressing humanity. And it's that's still what I'm addressing, saying. Like there's a lot of things that she goes through that are across the board universal. Of course, because women are human beings i feel like yes i feel like that's what i'm saying i I wish we didn't have to like i wish men didn't need i guess what i'm saying is as we move forward and we raise boys that they don't look at things that way of like this is a female thing can i can i relate is this what i want to watch it's like it's a human thing happened to be written by a woman if all of us can watch human stories written by men and get into it you certainly can too. Everyone else can too. Like, so I'm saying, like, or like, it's, or you know, it's uh, 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 we're just watching Lovecraft Country, right? Oh, that seems like a show starring all black people. I don't know if I can get into it. Well, you can because they're human beings, and once you get into it, right? It's like if we could start, if we could start erasing that and just have like these are just great stories. And also, it's a. I think it's partly get out of your own bubble in yes. your own sense of 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 self-involvement because yes. you know when you when you step back and you think about it and you think for a hundred years of cinema yes every single movie predominantly has been about 
some white dude's quest or challenge or struggle yes. or something. And so if everybody else has had to sit through that, you could take a breather and you can listen to some other you can listen to some yeah. other stories for a change. It's gonna be okay. Well, yeah, of course. And I feel like anyone that's not a white male is like, duh, we've been doing that since the beginning of time. But it's like, yeah, it's all human stories. So get out of your own way. And you'll be thanking us later because there are shows like this that exist that are just brilliant. Um, and I want to just quickly dive into the last beats of the the last scene of episode six. Again, if you have not watched it, turn it off now, watch it and come back. You know, when he comes and sits with her at the bus station, I think that is such a beautiful scene from top to to the end, I just I'm blown away by it. I'm blown away by it in every aspect. What did you think? Oh, it was great. It was so well acted. It hit me by surprise because I had lost track of which episode I was on and <laughs> if there were and if there were any left. And so I was watching that episode with the expectation that there were two more episodes. Okay. And so I'm watching it and I'm watching it. It's this great scene discussing, you know, where they're going. And the thing that really just hit me like a two by four is she then, you know, after he leaves. Yeah. I guess that's when the <laughs> the actual fox comes. Yes, appears, that's when the actual fox. And she, she says he went that way. Yes. Um, and then she starts to walk and the camera follows her. We follow her. And she turns back and says, no. Mm-hmm. And it's stunning because you've had 12 episodes of her letting us in and knowing, letting us know that she knows that we're here and we're yeah. her sounding board. And now she says, no, I can't. This is too much. This is a bridge too far. You don't get to be here with this part of it. And I think that's what you're talking about. She gets what she needs and that she's leaving that behind. So that yeah. she can then look forward, forward and maybe be more honest about herself. Because as we find out, her best friend, who we we know killed herself. Yes. But we don't know why until we see flashbacks. I think it's in season two that we first see these flashbacks. I may be wrong. You no, I think it's in it. season one we know why her her friend took her life. Yeah, she, life, had, she had an affair with her best friend's yes. boyfriend. And... Her friend found out about it and mm-hmm. stepped in front of a bus and died. And so it's not that she's sad that her friend killed herself. She's torn up because it's her fault. And she, you know, it's one of those things where she can't escape that. And so now she's moving forward dealing with all of her baggage. And she's not letting us go with her. She has she's reached a maturity point. Um, and it was just stunning. It was just remarkable where she just turns and it's a simple nope and then she just goes and then it's black cut to black and it was great it was so powerful i i agree i i I saw it a little differently in that i feel like she to me it was like she finally had intimacy for the first time right someone finally she finally let someone know her and not right the fake her or the funny her or the or the you know, or just I don't care. The sexual her without yes. the other emotional, yes. intellectual yes. compartments. Which she has another great monologue in a different episode in season two with the guy that gives her the um, loan for her cafe, where she talks about, you know, it can't be just about this thing. Like I, 
if this is it, like, what am I doing? Right. Like just the sex. It's, it's pretty amazing. Malong. Um, and she has another one in the confessional where she says to the priest, just tell me what to do. Right. There's a lot of these big moments of like asking like, what is life? Why am I yeah. here? Which yeah. everyone feels, but yeah. And that last episode to me, when she turns the camera and nods, like shakes her head. No, like we can't follow her with a smile on her face. And then she looks back again and waves goodbye. Yeah. It's so touching because to me, to me, it's that she knows she has strength now that she doesn't need that crutch. To me, we're her crutch, right? Like we're her way out. We're her like little aside. It's cute. It's funny. It keeps everything at a level, at a distance. It feels like everything is like safe at this distance. Is it not? She never has to be fully vulnerable, fully, fully known. Um, and let and the relationship in. that that typifies this is that one boyfriend where she keeps roping him back in that in season one, yes, yeah, 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 and that kind of typifies her the way she navigates through life, and she's she's grown past that final, yes, yes. Well, I mean, that's the other great thing, right? Like season one is all about her having all these like sexual adventures and 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 realizing that sex is fun and great and no judgment. But at the same time, I'm not getting what I want, which is to be known, right? Um, and then in season two, I think in the first episode, she talks about like to start season two, she's like, I cut out most of my drinking. I've been eating avocado toast. Like I'm like this. She has a really funny scene where a guy's like, just let me have sex with you. And she's like, no. And he's like, I'll go down on you. And she's like, no. And she runs away. Like everything she'd want to do. She's <laughs> yeah. like, I can't do it. Right. It's really funny. Um, because she's like, I have to start, right. I need to start over. I got to, oh, cause her sister hadn't talked to her for a year because the brother-in-law tried to kiss her at, her sister-in-law, yes. I mean, her sister's right. birthday and no one believes but then her. But around on her, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like she's starting all over again. And um, so season two, right, it's like, it's that great thing of like, I'm starting all over again. And then, of course, who does she fall in love with? A priest. I mean, it's right. It's heightening at its best. And and I love the sister's reaction, which is just when she finds out it's the priest, she just can't stop laughing because she's like, oh, my God. Like, right? Like, you can't. Are you kidding me? You find um, the one guy you absolutely can't have. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, but that, yeah, anyways, that's what, the end of it I think is so hopeful because it's like, this didn't work out, but I know what I want now. I know who I can be now. Uh, What a hopeful ending. And there's a sense of she has to, we're the last thing she has to cut out. Yes. She's cut out the drinking, she's cut out this, she's cut out the gratuitous casual sex, and now she's got to cut, well, casual sex, I guess. Yeah. Um and nothing so wrong with the, casual sex by the way we're not judging that Ca- have any and all casual sex you want with anyone you please you know what i say dress up a little for sex make it at least semi-formal oh god can you cut that the editing what a dad <laughs> joke I'm, a, I'm embarrassed for you If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A. Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason.